How's that? There we go. We've got audio now. Um, get a little bit of feedback. You guys hearing okay? Okay, perfect. Sorry about that. So just to uh, to bring everybody back up to date, this is last week, or sorry, next week today. Um, just on the COVID, as mentioned, that no one heard um, that the uh, the Pfizer vaccine is being uh, looked at for Canada to approve to uh, ages five to eleven. Uh, you know, in in Britain, uh, the UK, they're looking at reimposing some social restrictions and speed up that booster program. And of course, here in Canada, the booster program uh, has been uh, been expanded more and more as we uh, as different provinces like Ontario and Quebec have opened it up. Uh, and now BC starting with the care homes, uh, but will probably quickly uh, expand out as they're seeing some of the effectiveness of the vaccine kind of tapering over time. And those who got it first, obviously, uh, coming up to that period. And of course, the WHO uh, is uh, taking a look at a panel to determine the origins of COVID-19. But, you know, we've had several different committees take a look at this, uh, you know, different finger pointing, uh, you know, a lot of the experts out there are pretty skeptical of where we're going to find a, a true source of, of the vaccine. So let's take a look at what's going on in the economy. We're looking at the U.S. housing starts for September, and we're also going into earnings seasons with J&J and Procter and Gamble coming up. Stock futures uh, for the last couple of days have been uh, ticking up a little bit. Uh, just on the earnings results, we've seen some pretty good numbers out there. 81% of the S&P 500 uh, companies that have reported so far uh, have beat earnings per share expectations. So we've still seen strong earnings. Um, still keeping in mind though that, you know, the, the costs have been rising. Uh, revenues are up, earnings are up, but they're, uh, they're still seeing some cost uh, overruns as they've had to adapt to new way of doing business, but also remember that supply chain uh, is causing uh, raw material costs or uh, even product uh, shipping uh, cost increases as they try to get uh, product around the world through all this. The U.S. refiners are still uh, moving along in the energy sector, uh, higher, you know, set to have higher uh, earnings than expected due to fuel demand continuing. Uh, we've talked about this quite a bit. You know, this is going to continue. Uh, basically, we, you know, just to recap quickly. We went into the shutdown, uh, demand, you know, dropped off the map. Oil went to minus $34 a barrel. So producers uh, turned off the taps, if you want to look at it that perspective, when it comes to, uh, to fuel, uh, to limit supply, because there was no demand out there. As demand has surged back, though, uh, those taps haven't all been turned on. Uh, and a lot of them, they're leaving them off because a lot of companies have made investments or shifts of renewable energy that isn't online yet. So as we're going through this transition, we're likely to see a continued strong uh, energy market. Uh, hedge funds, you know, looking to post some big gains as they, they make some big, bet, big bets into those commodities. Uh, we'll continue to see that uh, move along. Canada's tax, the rich plan is leaving a big debt risk untouched. So, uh, you know, we've done a lot of spending here in Canada and they're looking to, uh, pay back that debt by imposing higher taxes on Canadians uh, to fund some of these campaign promises that they have out there. Uh, but is it going to be enough? And, uh, you know, the rich, as we've seen year over year over year, uh, corporations, they find loopholes. And will, uh, will the Canadian government be able to uh, collect as much taxes as they're hoping to cover some of these costs off? 
Uh, the chip shortage out there is still continuing. Hurricane Ida is weighing on the U.S. factory output, uh, and demand remains strong. So, uh, you know, we talked we talked about the chip shortage quite a bit. Uh, I mean, the, the shortage is across the board. Uh, pretty much anything that you want to go buy out there. I've mentioned before, if you want to do your your holiday your holiday shopping, start it sooner than later because there are going to be uh, limited supplies. Uh, pretty much everything that you you want to get out there. I, I, I mean, even even seeing co kids' costumes for Halloween, um, you know, basically telling parents get out there now and get them because there, there's not going to be any of those last minute ones left. Uh, so, but the focus is on chips, and 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 the reason why we're seeing this surge on chips, be, and I've talked about it a little bit when I've talked about cars, uh, you know, relating them to the uh, Apple iPhone. You know, when the first Apple iPhone came out, it was revolutionary. I mean, the latest app, app, iPhone 13, I don't know that it's a lot of difference, you know, unless you're a, a big camera buff. But, you know, you know, generally they haven't changed too much. But that first one came out was revolutionary. It gave you so much power, so much capability in your hands. Yes, they've gotten faster and more memory and all these other features that they brought in. But it was that first transition. Well, we're seeing that, you know, I've mentioned cars, new cars today are basically the new iPhones. They do everything. We've talked about how they self-diagnose, they download their own softwares and fix themselves uh, on the fly. Uh, and more and more and more of these cars, you, you, and that's not even touching on the self-drive uh, push that you know some of these manufacturers are trying to, uh, trying to get out there. Uh, but that's it's true of almost every product, right? We, you know, everything we, we have today, it runs off a chip. So, so when you think about the chip supply shortage, it impacts so many different things that we do, you know, from your appliances, uh, you know, obviously anything uh, electronic, your computers, uh, even people talk about, you know, Bitcoin mining, uh, all these different areas, it's all driven by, uh, by chips, you know, the kids' computer games, the handhelds, all these things. So that's why the, the focus is on these, the chip shortage because it's affecting so much of that supply chain. Uh, we've all seen software firm Info, uh, Informatica uh, out there looking at getting a $9 billion stock uh, valuation. So this continues the IPO growth that we've seen since uh, the later half of 2020 uh, as, as they push, you know, kind of push the boundaries. This is a company that went private, um, you know, about six years ago and now coming back public again to take advantage of the IPO uh, frenzy that's out there. Uh, New York, uh, actually, New York is actually speaking of cryptocurrencies. New York is directs two cryptocurrency lending platforms to cease activities. Um, we see we're, we're going to see more and more of this. Uh, you know, not picking on cryptocurrencies. I know I've done videos about it before, uh, and, and I have uh, not a necessarily. I try to be fairly unbiased about it. I, I, I'm not an overly big fan. Uh, but not because of cryptocurrencies themselves, just because I think the challenges that they're going to face uh, moving forward. But, um, but one of the things that we're seeing right now is more and more um, less than legitimate businesses out there uh, trying to take advantage of the crypto craze uh, and, and more plat you know, platforms, trade-in platforms. Um, you know, we talked to a few weeks ago about Coinbase out there buying up some of these small startups that you know, really can't afford to be competitive. Uh, but there's also a lot that are less legitimate out there that, you know, uh, be very careful uh, of out there. And, and, you know, you might be getting yourself in trouble with a little bit. 
Uh, Walmart's uh, one of the subsidiaries, one of the backed uh, companies, Sym Symbotic, has partnered up with uh, SoftBank, SoftBank's back or Special uh, Purpose Acquisition Corporation. They're in talks about a $4.5 billion uh, merger. And this is uh, Walmart invested into a company that does robotics and, and automation, uh, probably investing to have a foothold in this, uh, this type of uh, um, automation for their warehouses and deliveries. Uh, what they're talking to them with SoftBank, who runs these blank check specs uh, about combining and getting the firm valued at about $4.5 billion deal. And again, just continuing on that IPO trend that we're seeing out there. Silver Lake is actually looking out to, to buy uh, the New York Stock Exchange's uh, owner ICE stake in uh, Euroclear for about $709 million. So, on, you know, as well as the IPOs, the MA continues uh, strong in these markets, and we expect that to keep going for the end of the year. And remember, there is new legislation being pushed in the United States. So, uh, you know, a, a lot of these mergers and, and acquisitions are being pushed through even quicker. Uh, because they want to get in ahead of the new antitrust laws. So let's see what's uh, what's new this week uh, coming up in the markets. J&J, as I mentioned, are going to report their third earnings, uh, setting the tone for that pharmaceutical company's earnings and also the sector, seeing how they did with their COVID-19 vaccine production. Uh, you know, J&J, though, keep in mind, is a broad, broad distributor of product. Uh, I mentioned before, you know, go through your... Uh, your soaps and your medicine cabinets and your uh, anything to do uh, around your household goods uh, between them and Procter & Gamble, they probably take up more than 50% of your, your cupboards. Uh, and uh, they're looking to uh, put potential liabilities from lawsuits and things like that behind them after this quarter. Halliburton is expected to post a, a third straight quarter of profits off their crude oil uh, prices. Obviously, we just talked about you know, big surge there, oil, uh, oil's well above $80 now, uh, I think around $83 today. And Netflix is expected to post a rise in revenue, strong subscriber additions, of course, off their, uh, their South Korean series Squid Game, which has cost them 20, $21 million to make that, uh, that series, nine episodes of that series. And it's estimated to be worth about $900 million for them alone so far. So the most popular series they've ever put out uh, is that Squid Game. Uh, if you haven't watched it, it's for it's for a different uh, uh, it's for a different crew. You know, try watching episode one if uh, if you don't have the stomach or the uh, it's not your your taste. Uh, I wouldn't recommend watching the rest. Uh, also going on in the U.S., um, you know, the job market continues to be tight. The, the fight for more pay continues. Uh, we've even seen. Uh, you know, minimum wage actor group in Ontario who were fighting for, you know, just a year ago, we're fighting for $15 an hour now up and that's $18 an hour. And that's a lot around inflation. We've talked about inflation, uh, this transitory inflation. The big challenge with, with this transitory inflation, the biggest areas it's affected is housing, food, and fuel. And, and really you can't avoid those three things, right? If you can avoid those, well, you're, you're living off the grid. Um, you know, those are the three big categories that have been affected by this, this inflation. And while it might be transitory at this levels, it's not going back to where it was. So even if we see the inflation drop off a little bit, it's not going back down to zero. 
uh, or one percent or even two percent. I think it's it, you know the target is to be between two and three percent. I think we're going to stay at the high end of three, even when we get past this this supply chain issue. Uh, so you know that fifteen dollar minimum wage, you know, is just not going to be enough, and that's why we're seeing the shortage, especially in the service industries. Uh, you know, people just can't survive on that. You know, I've got two uh, two children in university, and I feel so bad for for younger people who are starting out. Because, uh, you know, we were joking the other day, my first year university tuition was $1,100. Uh, you know, today, first year tuition, depending on what program of school, could be anywhere between six and, and 12000 in Canada. And that's not included in room and board, right? So, or books or, or anything else. That's just your tuitions. So, you know, kids today at $15 an hour to work their, you know, full time through the entire summer and save everything that they make really can't afford to go to school. And if you think about someone who's trying to, uh, you know, support themselves or your even a family, uh, that minimum wage of $15, I don't think it's gonna survive. I think there's gonna be some big changes there. And I think we're gonna continue to see this um, staffing shortage uh, continue until something happens on that front. Because what the pandemic did was when they, when, when all these, service and hospitality jobs were, you know, were shut down and people were let go. Um, they went and found, you know, other opportunities, other skill sets that are making them more than that minimum wage. And they're not coming back because why would they? They're making more money now. They have more growth opportunity, you know, more potential to, to earn a, a viable living out there. So this is going to continue. Big battle. Obviously, it's going to be a much bigger battle in the U.S. because of their view that the minimum wage, some states down there, minimum wage is only a few dollars and, and the rest, you know, they have to survive on tips. Um, you know, whereas, you know, here in Canada, we were already pretty close to the $15 in some provinces over, uh, but I think we're gonna see that pushed, you know, pushed even higher as, uh, as things move along. Uh, we're also seeing uh, five of the US lawmakers accusing uh, Amazon possibly lying to Congress. Uh, you know, we just saw Facebook have a whistleblower, you know, testify that, Facebook was lying, uh, you know, Amazon's, uh, you know, this is a bit around their, their, uh, their store potential. So if you're not familiar kind of with the Amazon structure, uh, you know, Amazon has their own products, the featured products, sometimes called Amazon Choice, if you go into their apps or into the website, uh, and that's sold directly by Amazon or manufactured by, uh, by Amazon. But then other people have their stores there, and, and they're being accused of basically if someone, if I were to go open a store on Amazon and sell a product and then become, you know, very popular and sell, you know, have really strong sales, Amazon will go and uh, use that data, build their own version of that product, feature it above yours and put it slightly cheaper price and then, you know, kind of basically stealing your business. So uh, there's this back and forth and that all goes to kind of the anti antitrust suits we're seeing uh, seeing around the world with uh, the, the bigger tech companies. Uh, Apple just uh, had on, uh, on yesterday, they had a big live event, uh, a doubling down on the new chips. So if you follow the previous uh, big product announcement, the new Apple 13, the new uh, Watch 7, I think it is, uh, you know, all featured using the Apple chips. So they moved away from exterior uh, chip manufacturers, they used to use ARM at one point, they used Intel at some point. Uh, well, now they've moved their MacBooks into using their own chips. Uh, and they've launched a, a couple of new MacBooks. And I think they've got new uh, AirPods coming out as well. Uh, new AirPods 
generation, I think they're on generation four now. Uh, so uh, if you're interested in that, those have been pushed out. Of course, you know, this is common for them to put out just before Christmas season. But if it's anything like the, uh, the, the phone launch that we saw just a month ago, um, you know, back to that chip manufacturing, they're having troubles getting out the volumes on time. So, uh, you know, if you're, again, if you're interested in upgrading some of these things, uh, definitely order it earlier than, uh, than later, especially if you're looking for, uh, to give it to someone for the holidays. Uh, Facebook's planning on hiring 10,000 in the EU, EU to build a metaverse. Um, so over the next five years, basically the social media and giant wants to create this metaverse for an online world where people can use different devices to move and communicate in the in virtual environment. They kind of launched this a little while ago. It, you know, they launched their uh, virtual reality meetings. So just like this, Zoom, uh, we could be meeting only I could see, you know, your little avatars out there and you could see my avatar and we could potentially interact uh, in conversations through, through those. It was pretty rudimentary uh, what they launched uh, a few months ago, uh, but they're looking to build that out. Uh, and create something uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess, realistic. Uh, it kind of reminds me of one of the kids' books called Ready Player One, where people just live in these worlds. But we'll keep a close eye on it because it is interesting technology. And when you talk about the gaming world, it is kind of the way things are headed. On the foreign exchange front, uh, the US dollar fell broadly. Of course, we had strength in markets. That's not surprising. Uh, Bitcoin kind of had a new record. I think it was over 60,000 US. Um, and it also started trading uh, first, first U.S. So we've had Canadian exchange traded funds, uh, but we see it on the U.S. now under uh, Bit, Bitto, B-I-T-O. Um, we'll be watching that, you know, so we're watching that for flows of the funds. You know, anytime these big ETFs come out, they have to go out and buy the, uh, the cryptocurrency that hold it right inside the fund. So it does drive the price up a bit with that artificial volume or I guess real volume, but, you know, a different volume. I always caution people with the ETFs. If you if you are investing in cryptocurrencies, uh, caution using the ETFs. And the big reason is cryptos trade and the price moves dramatically on a twenty four seven basis. So that means uh, you know at midnight there could be a forty, and we have seen a forty percent move on the price of some of these cryptos, uh, or on the weekends. Uh, and if you're through an ETF, it's only trading during market hours. Right, so nine to five or nine to four Eastern time. So, um, so you you know you could miss out on a big move that you just can't take advantage of or you can't get out of um, if you are trading it. Uh, you know, be careful of using the exchanges uh, for that reason alone. You know, inflation I talked about it. You know, continues to persist, and uh, we're seeing. You know, as we mentioned every week, I think some uh, some central bank is out there talking about their monetary policy. And the European Central Bank's going to have a meeting on the 23rd to try to give some clarity about how they're going to handle inflation. On the commodity front, as I mentioned, oil up, uh, sitting around 83 US right now, uh, continues to hold strong. We don't see that really um, slowing down. Russia's talking about increasing their supply, but uh, uh, like I said, there's so many taps turned off around the world right now. Uh, I don't see too much weakness, maybe a little bit of volatility, but I don't see too much weakness. And of course, it's only that demand's only going to increase as more and more people start traveling over the next 12 months because a massive user uh, of oil is planes, much more than vehicles. So, you know, we can talk about the switch to electric vehicles uh, all we want. 
but the big users are industrial and, and, and planes. So until that really starts to change, uh, you know, we're not going to see that drop off. And on the metal front, continue to see strength there. Uh, a lot of that's driven on inflation. Materials will always, materials and energy tend to always do well in an inflationary market. So let's take a look at the change in the world in your, and what is the world has changed out there and have you changed your portfolio? What should you should be looking at in changing your portfolio? So with that, this is my gun money. So what are we seeing out there? We've talked about the inflation change. We've seen the uh, economic impact of the shutdown over the last year and the reopening again. The supply chain uh, has happened. Uh, we've seen different countries print money, different stimulus. We're now turning the corner of that stimulus packages to look at the potential tightening or uh, ending of these packages. And that means a lot when we're talking about macroeconomics and a lot about, uh, you know, how we want to position the portfolios. And we've, we've covered off some different pieces out there. You know, we talked about value versus growth, you know, different sectors like technology, uh, you know, versus financials. Uh, and then last week we talked about alternatives as well. So I want to bring in a bit kind of together when we're talking about these shifts in portfolios and, and, and what you have to look at. So the first thing you have to look at is your asset allocation, right? So your asset allocation is not just looking at the different, you know, bonds versus stocks, but what do you have within those two categories and geography as well? And, and, and when you build that, it, it's, it, it's not kind of, uh, you know, it's not a kid's puzzle where you put together two big pieces. This is, you know, the thousand piece puzzle. You've got to see how each one of those pieces are going to interact with each other, especially when we're looking at this type of environment, because it's not a bull environment. A bull environment, which we saw the later half of 2020, was, you know, you could put any pieces down. Everything was kind of moving up. Some were moving faster than others. Uh, you know, 100%, you could have done better if you, you know, positioned in certain ways. But everything was going up. So, you know, the puzzle was a lot easier. Now we're in a much more technical uh, type of market, really, really understanding what pieces you have in there. And I'm going to start off talking about the fixed income side, because, you know, a lot of people look for safety and yield. Uh, but, you know, we can't, we can't look at the traditional or the, the standard view, even if we go back, you know, 10 years, uh, you know, the 10 years fixed income returns of 2.7% are down 32.5 in yield from back in just 2016 at 57% compared to the yields we saw in 2011. So you can't rely on, on, on the bonds that are more volatile than they've ever been. Uh, and the yields are, are really, really low. So when you're looking at your fixed income, you really have to replace that kind of traditional bond and, and some of your equity exposures as well, and really look at alternative strategies. So we talked about a bit about alternative strategies last week. Um, and, and, you know, if you don't use them in your portfolio, reach out to us, happy to talk to you about how you can use them. I'm not talking about leveraged funds or leveraged hedge funds that bring in a ton of, you know, commodity bedding or risk. This is just using things like derivatives to offset those risks, offset and enhance your, your returns, especially when we talk about the yield side. So on fixed income, you know, having some alternative strategies in your fixed income um, can, can really bolster your portfolio. You replace, replace that core 
you know, broad spectrum bond uh, portfolio or potentially ETF or fund that you're using and really look for a, a portfolio that can use derivatives at kind of that long, short credit. That doesn't mean more risk, right? They're only offset in risk. They're limited the downside with those derivatives or with the, with the shorts uh, just to keep volatility lower, uh, which is what you want from that fixed income portfolio. But it also enhances yield. Right? They can they can play um, the arbitrage spreads on those, you know, getting you an extra one or two percent, uh, you know, minimum kind of per year uh, by using these strategies. And when you can't get the yield naturally, uh, that makes a big impact on your portfolio, especially when you look at the, the credit side. Uh, and using the traditional long uh, or, or or the long credit exposures in your portfolio is doubly risky right now because not only are you getting a really low yield, but on top of that, you know, as you know, bonds versus interest rates, you know, you're, you're in a teeter-totter kind of pattern. When interest rates go up, the value of your bonds go down. So yes, you know, if you buy in at a 10-year bond at, you know, 1.6%, 1.65%, if you hold for the 10 years, you will get that 1.65. Uh, but if you sell any time uh, before the 10 years, you might not get that one point. So you can actually lose some money on that. So you kind of get double risky. And that's where that leverage of that short can come into play, not only get you higher than that 1.65, but protect you when that interest rate move does happen, uh, protect you from that downside. So really look at those long shorts. And that applies to your equities as well. Now, I'm not saying all your equities should be long short uh, or should be using derivatives, but there are ways to, uh, improve the quality of your returns. We've used in the portfolio for, for a couple of years now, we've used a, a covered call option as derivative option on uh, our bank stocks, uh, where it, it, it basically all it does, it enhances the dividend from about you know roughly four to 6%. So 2% extra takes down volatility and very limited risk that you're adding into using that strategy. You might, if, if there's a big massive run up in the, uh, the, uh, the uh, bank stock prices, you might limit your upside on it, right? And, you know, you might miss out on a couple percent of the upside, but that's a, you know, bank stocks are so big, they don't generally, you know, jump up $10 a share, you know, in a couple of weeks, they tend to be fairly steady movers. Uh, so that covered call option just gives you that extra protection and that extra yield. Well, you can do that across your portfolio. You can do it across a broad index so you can uh, offset the risk of say the US market or the Canadian market or any global market or and or currencies in your portfolio. If you have a big exposure say to the US, uh, potentially the Euro, you can use those long shorts uh, or derivatives anyway to, to offset those. And on the equity side of things, you can uh, take away some of the uh, negative impact of a, of a down market and enhance your returns on the upside. And that's just by using the long shorts, very specific on sectors, because generally when the markets are going down, as we've seen since the summertime here, we've seen more negativity in the tech or growth areas and more growth in the value. So if you were to take a conservative long short approach to uh, growth versus um, value, you would reduce volatility in that portfolio but increase the returns as well. So really taking a look at those alternatives uh, should be part of the portfolios. 
Um, everyone's percentage there is going to be different depending on what the rest of those puzzle pieces are and how they, they, uh, they fit together and also what your, your goals are. Keep in mind, a lot of these alternatives do have different liquidities than, than normal. They might be one, you know, only liquid once a week, some once a month. Um, a lot of them are daily now. There's something called liquid alts uh, that can give you daily uh, liquidity. They're not bad. Just know why you're buying it. Do you need that daily liquidity? Because it does change a little bit how the how the portfolio operates, depending on what liquidity approach you take. So again, know what you're buying. Make sure it's right for you in that situation. Uh, obviously, a multi-approach. So you know, add this to an existing portfolio. Don't. None of the advice or none of the strategies we ever talk about here is an all-in type of approach. Be diversified. Really look at your fixed income, maximize that. Uh, you know, shouldn't be reducing your fixed income uh, portfolio. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that actually a little bit over you know the last year or two. Some people who you know their overall risk strategy, uh, you know, they might have been that traditional 60-40 split. It's not a strategy I would you know recommend. We've done a couple of videos on the 60-40. You can go look at those. Um, when they've really reduced their six, their 40 bonds down, uh, say 10 or 15 or 20, uh, because they're in search for growth, they're in search of yield that they're not getting on that side. But when you do that, you've now exposed your portfolio to a lot more risk as well. So if there were a correction in the market, if there was some sort of serious or longer term downturn on the equity side of things, you've given up that protection. And that impact might be worse than giving up some returns. But by adding some of the alts into your fixed income portfolio, giving yourself that protection, getting yield, right? Being very strategic, still getting that yield with low volatility, but not exposing yourself to that equity risk. You can still achieve the same thing in your portfolio. So be very conscious of, you know, what's the appropriate uh, asset allocation for your risk levels. So again, happy to talk to you about that. Um, and make sure that you're all, you're you're in tune with kind of what your needs are and what your long term needs are. Uh, putting it all together, well, you know, out there there's you know there's a lot of different tools, uh, you know, to take a look at your strategic asset allocation decisions. Uh, you know what's changing on an ongoing basis. We are in this big state of flux. We've talked about the portfolio, or sorry, the uh, markets being fairly volatile, and will likely stay somewhat volatile for the rest of this year. Again, as I always say. That's an opportunity. Really pay attention to your, your bond or your fixed income side of your portfolios, because again, that's where a lot of people get into trouble when, when fixed income isn't performing, they will jump over to equities for that, you know, that attractive return, but you're, you, know, you take on volatility when you do that. So it's really, you know, really important to know how much you might wanna put a bit more in equities, but are there alternatives out there that you know, can replicate uh, or at least bridge the returns between bonds and equities uh, without increasing a ton of risk or without increasing any risk in your portfolio um, through, through that change. Definitely look at replacing those core bonds and credit exposures. There's a lot of alternatives. There's even, I've talked about them before, there's the inflation protected uh, bonds that uh, you know their, their, their interest rates that they pay basically move with inflation. So as inflation goes up, uh, their, their payouts go up. So, you know, you're kind of protected in a rising interest rate market. Again, I wouldn't go in all, all in on those um, because you could have staggered inflation or stagflation. Um, but 
for a portion of it, you can you can use those in your portfolios, and we certainly have them in ours as well. Um, really recommend, I can't stress this enough, take a total approach to your portfolio. One of the most dangerous questions I ever get from people uh, is what stock should I buy or what thing should I buy? And, and, and it, should, it shouldn't be one thing, right? It should be, you know, what things should you buy for your situation? What's the right mix? Because, uh, you know, you don't want to be all equities. You don't want to be all the same equities. You don't want to be all the same geography, uh, you know, anything. You want to make sure that you've got offset and correlations in that portfolio. Uh, so you're maximizing returns throughout a volatile market, but you're also minimizing your personal volatility. The market can be volatile, but as long as your portfolio is minimizing its volatility, uh, you've built a really good portfolio. So pay attention to the construction side, know what you're putting in, you know, have that balance. And, you know, that goes to the beginning of 2021, even when we start talking about value over growth being the, the, uh, the, the more favored uh, area for this year, uh, which we've certainly seen value outperform, um, but it doesn't mean you get completely out of growth. There are still some names, there are still some sectors that are performing well in there that should be in your portfolio. So with that, as always, go to mikeonmoney.com with any of your questions, suggestions. Uh, you subscribe to our YouTube channel. This will be up on YouTube uh, probably by tomorrow morning. And of course, our podcast, you can go listen to us there. Always love hearing from you. Uh, any ideas uh, about uh, topics that you'd like to hear about, or again, this portfolio construction thing, uh, especially in this type of market, uh, it takes a bit more. Uh, it takes a bit more work on uh, to get it to, to get it right. Get this, you know, created specifically for your situation. By all means, reach out to us. We're happy to talk to you and help you any way we can. So, with that, thank you, everyone. Take care and enjoy your day.